Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace, here with a couple of special guests, uh, some writers that I've, I've uh, admired for a long time, really enjoy their work. Uh, we've talked about them on the show and, and covered their comics. Uh, got to meet them in person finally at San Diego Comic-Con this last year. So it's great to welcome Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing to the show. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Uh, I was le- letting Colin speak, but he was on mute. <laughs> no, I wasn't. This is an audio format. They had no idea. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. So yeah, it's great. It was great to finally meet you guys. And we we talked some Cap and we talked uh, some Star Trek and we talked some Batman Beyond at, uh, at San Diego. We're mostly going to focus on Star Trek because uh, it's the first time we're having a Star Trek title, no subtitle, whatever, from IDW since 2016. And you guys just came off a long run on Star Trek year five. It's kind of like you, that was the beginning of Star Trek in a lot of ways. And now mm. you're coming to the, the, almost the future of, of Star Trek. So you must be big Trekkies. So we'll start with you, uh, Colin. What's it like to, to take on this responsibility of the Star Trek title? Um, yeah. I mean, you pretty succinctly just said in a very cheerful way, the kind of, uh, looming weight of what it is we're facing. Um, because you're right. Um, it's an amazing responsibility. It's an amazing honor to be able to approach not only um, effectively kicking this off with uh, such a vibrant Kirk story that we were so honored to be able to tell in year five, but then coming back around to this, um, it's a massive responsibility. And yet at the same time, if you're given the keys to the kingdom, um, you you might, you know, it's concerning, but it's certainly not also absolutely thrilling from head to toe what about you jackson how how are you feeling about this i uh, i mean it's the dream i i i you know the the interesting thing about year five is that it wasn't the first star trek project that we pitched at idw we had originally come to idw a few years before with a uh star trek book in fact a star trek line at the time um designed to uh while while uh mike's star trek you know the the one that you previously mentioned the the kelvin verse book was in its sort of heyday uh we had uh we'd come in and we'd said hey we'd really love to do a book that returns to the original universe that returns to uh to Benjamin Sisko and Jean-Luc Picard and Data and Voyager and, you know, just uses all of these toys. And this was all before uh, Picard, you know, was even announced, right? This was, this was before that show was shooting. So we were, we were thinking, well, you know, they're never going to touch this era again. So we might as well come in and play with them. And we got really far down the line. We, we ended up, uh, we, we pitched like a three book interlocking line and we got very far, uh, you know, a few months into development and, and everybody was was aligned on it. And then one day uh, around San Diego Comic-Con, we got a uh, we got a little call that was like, hey, so we should tell you about this show called Picard that's going to derail everything that you want to do. And it was like, well, look, it, it, the, the best case scenario is we get to see uh, the we actually get to see these characters on screen again. So I'm thrilled, but whoa, what a bummer. And then it took a couple of years um, to get year five uh, up and running after that. That was that was what initially inspired them to call us on year five, was that we wanted to return to this universe and do this sort of canonical sequel book. And so coming out of year five, that had immediately been our hope was like oh is there any chance that we could do that again um even though obviously it, that's made more complicated by the the state of the universe um and uh especially with all of the you know moving pieces within the shows and the canon now um but heather antos uh the new editor at star trek who'd been our editor over at uh valiant for the harbinger she came to us and said uh hey guys what does it look like if the book is just called star trek what does that mean what does that what does that look like if it's not a kelvin verse book and it's not a TOS book. What does that look like? And we were like, well, do we have the pitch for you? And obviously it was a different pitch, very different than what we'd initially pitched, completely different thing, but um, built on the same uh, uh, instinct, which was let's take Star Trek and treat it like Avengers and bring all of your favorite characters together into a new ship on a new mission uh, that sits properly in canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I want to talk a little bit about year five. And when I say you guys almost started at the, at the beginning so interesting that this book was actually the first one you pitched. So real quick for listeners, it might not be familiar. So we had three seasons of the original series way back in the day. Then it got canceled, right? Part, partly mm-hmm. because it was such an expensive show to make. Then we got one very short season of an animated series, but we never. And so if you think about those three series as, you know, the five-year mission, each 
television live action series as uh, one of the years, the animated as the fourth year. We never got that fifth year. Uh, and for me, when you talk about establishing a franchise, that first mission, when I say the beginning, the end of the first mission, it's kind of like the end of a movie that launches a franchise, right? When you get to the end, you know the end of that first story. That's where everything branches out of now you've had a chance to fall in love with the characters. Now you've had a chance to be invested. So for me, your year five is really the beginning of the Star Trek universe in so many ways. And it wasn't just you two. I mean, it was a, a, almost like a television writer's room type. You guys had some great collaborators, great artists. Jo so jo Jody Hauser, Brendan Easton, Jim McCann, Paul Cornell. Um, I mean, just amazing writers came in and worked on that project with us. It was a, it was a real honor um, to get to sort of quote unquote show run uh, right. a season of Star Trek like that. Right. So, so considering that, you know, with what I've said about it being the beginning with hindsight, obviously, are you glad it worked out the way it did? Like, you know, this book, this pitch, as you said, is now so different than what you originally had. Um, going back to the beginning, as it were, did it really in, kind of help inform and, and you're set up in a better place to do this book right now? Is, is that, would you say that's true, Colin? Yeah, um, uh, I absolutely would. Um, you know, we were very ambitious. I mean, we always are ambitious to, uh, in everything we do, but I feel like getting to do year five as we did, um, working with so many other amazing talents, getting to know um, CBS and kind of the licensing process and understanding um, just kind of how the Trek ecosystem flows and find our voice um, in the Trek universe, which is really careful because you can't write to yourself. Um, you need to think of these characters. You need to think of Shatner. You know, you need to think of how these voices stand. And I think it was important for us to find that footing before we embarked on something as, frankly, once again, wildly ambitious as uh, the new series. Well, how do you feel about it? Uh, I mean, I, Jackson. Uh, no, I mean, I, th I think I think Collins got it one. That's that's I think the whole thing. What what it allowed us to do was learn how to do this, so that when it, we it came down the line to the thing that gave us sort of free reign, we knew how to run. It's sort of like if we'd gotten the original book when we did. That was before we had done not just Star Trek um, Year Five, but. That was before we had done Batman Beyond Neo Years, before we had done King the Conqueror or um, Captain America, The Sentinel of Liberty, all books that I think took our right, a dark one, our, our book with Brandon Sanderson, where we learned an enormous amount because you're, you're working with, you know, one of the preeminent fantasy authors of our time, right? Colin and I have become much different writers than we were mm -hmm. before we stepped in to Star Trek. Um, if you look at our oeuvre if you look at like what we were doing before we hit star trek year five it was a lot of like journeyman projects that like lasted like a couple of issues here and got canceled or like was was small and, and weird for us or was only had like a very niche audience like gotham city garage which like i think is a wonderful book and i'm really really proud of it but like no one knew it existed except for the people who really cared right right the these were not like we we we'd written zojacon which again beautiful book love it it's taught in colleges but like no one read it we were not flying high and like doing a bunch of crazy stuff and really knowing how we might be able to play with um the the item uh the characters and stories that exist in popular imagination that actually have to really be honored when you get in when you get into them and you have to figure out how okay. you're gonna how how to how to do that responsibly is its own challenge and it's its own um thing where you have to learn the kind of swings you can take and the kind of swings you can't and so i'm really uh very happy that we had that time to get better frankly just to get more knowledgeable to get sharper to um understand ourselves better and to understand our partnership better and understand our what we could bring to star trek better uh because then by the time that we got there now that we're here and we're telling a relatively mature story in terms of as Star Trek goes, um, you know, it's not just a straightforward adventure story. It's it's one that has a lot of of human elements and a lot of elements of grief and a lot of elements of um, uh, sort of the 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 dangers of of uh, what it means to leave behind your family and come back and have things different. I mean, Cisco is in a very interesting space. Existential questions. It is yeah. right. Yes, I, I think having having a book that's dealing with all of those things. I'm really glad that we have the time 
to learn how you can plug those kinds of ideas into popular story without completely derailing the 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 core of the myth. Um, and so now that we've done that, now that we I, I feel like we've had some really successful runs um, out there, and obviously our Captain America run um, as as just an ongoing experience of learning what it means to to play with such iconic characters, um, as well as obviously Year Five, which was a huge learning experience for us, and I think is is sort of the genesis of a lot of the work that we do now. I think it's absolutely made us sort of more worthy of the, you know, of the franchise and of the captain's chair that we're, we're sort of <laughs> both shoving our, each other into. <laughs> we, um, have, we have very skinny butts. We yeah, yeah, butts yeah. Right, right in the, chair. right in the same captain's chair. Uh, so, and I will say um, the other reason I'm really glad that we're doing this show now, talk about the show, this book now is that the original pitch that we had, was filled with stuff that I've now seen on Star Trek. There were there were things that we were pitching that little did we know, but like we were pitching elements of Discovery season two. We were pitching elements of Picard season one and two. We were pitching elements from um, Lower Decks. Like we were pitching elements that would find their way into the shows regardless of us. And so this is a great way for us to now be able to look at the live action ongoing Star Trek world, right? That has so many shows in it and has so much ongoing canon as we're all learning today on Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Day. There's all this new stuff coming, right? We just got to see the Titan and Carol Kane's joining Strange New Worlds. I'm flipping out. Um, but like with all of that being what it is, we now have a much better understanding of what it means to come back and play with these characters and tell a story that isn't going to get told in live action that isn't going to get told um by those places uh and to do it in a in a, in a way that uh, hopefully works alongside that and invites fans in for a, for a different kind of star trek experience so um yeah. long story long story short at the time it really sucked <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, yeah at the time sure. at the time we were super bummed it was like we'll right. never get to write star trek ah! uh but now uh history has made fools of us and uh we're very happy to be back yeah right good things come to those who who wait i suppose and we really are in this golden era of, of star trek it's it's expanded so much you know an, animated shows even uh, on nickelodeon and and you know all this great live action stuff um yeah. and that, that's what's so interesting we talk a little bit about kind of the weight of the responsibility uh, but it's it's such a great universe to play in, and you guys are really trying to pull in from so many different, not only uh, characters, but also different eras, you know. Um, and and you, I know you, you guys have said in interviews, this isn't necessarily a multiverse show, but you're going to try to touch on as many areas as possible. So let's talk about the, the cast, like the, the actual crew that you guys chose. Um, can you let everybody know, Colin, who's who's on this crew? And then I'm going to throw it over to you, Jackson, to talk about this amazing ship that they're going to be on. Yes. Oh, uh, how will we flip it? I keep going first. I want to hear Jackson's take. Okay. Uh, talk about here. The, here, oh, how about how about how about how about we just hand off and talk about the characters that we can talk about, and then we'll keep the secrets that we're going to keep. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Do yeah. Because yeah, we can. We, we this is fun. So. um, First off, just theory, like baseline, like why did we do this with the cast, right? We wanted to take, you, you said like, oh, it's not a multiverse show. And it's not because I don't really think of Star Trek as a multiverse. I understand that it is. I, and that's and that's totally appropriate. I really think about this book as a universe book because Star Trek isn't treated enough like a universe, but it was. It was the first big cinematic shared universe that was existing on television anywhere i mean there's really like there's a couple of like sitcoms that had shared universes but like other than that star wars star trek is the first one that comes in and is like what if multiple shows in the same universe dealing with stuff right um simultaneously so we wanted to do the same thing here in star trek we're going to take that treat the universe as a universe bring from everywhere so the idea is that we bring from everywhere by hopefully by the end of star trek Every single Star Trek series has a touch point on the Theseus, which is um, our ship, which we'll obviously get to. But where does our starting cast come from? Well, Benjamin Sisko, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, bringing him back from the wormhole, telling the canonical Ben Sisko sequel story. Uh, Avery Brooks is one of my favorite Star Trek actors. Captain Sisko is one of uh, is our favorite captain. He is a enigma. He is a uh, an incredibly layered character and one who asks this constant question, not um, what does God need with a starship, but like, what does God need with a starship captain, right? That there's this man who has been chosen by alien gods. What does that mean to live with that in your soul all the time, um, especially after the Dominion War, which was this huge, big, distracting event. But now 
his quote unquote destiny lies before him. And what does that really mean to, to have to embrace that and have to embrace that with the shame of having left your family for three years to go live in an alien wormhole. So there's a lot going on with Ben Sisko and he really, his, his mission, him being thrown out of the wormhole and told you have a new mission from the prophets uh, is what kicks this whole thing off. And he's going to be assembling this crew. So Ben Sisko in the captain's chair. Yeah, next to him, uh, as the XO first officer, we have none other than Commander Data. Um, when we were dealing with, when we realized that the story was going to center around Cisco, um, who is going to be, he's dealing with these thoughts of godhood and ephemeral concepts, uh, we needed someone who was going to balance him out in a very real, genuine, grounded way. And there's no one more practical and mechanical uh, than Data. So we were thrilled to kind of bring him on board as a, you will find out the exact circumstances of that assignment within issue one, um, because it's not quite so cut and dried. But the cool thing is we are able to bring Data onto a ship and have him confront really one of the final elements of humanity uh, before we know where he will end up in Nemesis. Um, But there's a fundamental core of humanity, which is belief in God, faith, which is one of the, the most difficult things for any of us to understand, let, let alone an android. And so he's going to be having to approach this stuff, learning from this man who many could call absolutely unhinged uh, and, become <laughs> an, uh, and become a partnership that, you know, we'd like to think will rival some of the best in Star Trek history. Um, to uh, his, uh, to the other side, our, our third officer uh, on the ship uh, is Beverly Crusher, uh, and Doctor Beverly Crusher, normally sort of sequestered to uh, the to Med Bay, uh, now has a place on the bridge. Uh, a big thing with uh, Beverly Crusher for us was that we wanted a character who could, if we were going to pull from TNG twice, right? We wanted to make sure that it was for a good reason, and the reason why we went after Crusher is that she is indispensable once you once you understand the premise of the book once there's a a, a, that core premise of a starship captain has been tasked by alien gods been changed in physiological and mental ways and then thrown out of this space-time wormhole to go save the galaxy when that becomes something that that starfleet is aware of and has to deal with they're going to want to put somebody at his side who is monitoring his health, who's monitoring his mental health, and who's trying to understand what has happened to him and uh, what they can do about it. Uh, basically, we need somebody who's there to make sure that the captain is still human, or if not, still has the the sort of morals and intentions and, and, and um, uh, abilities of a human. And that's where Beverly Crusher comes in, uh, because she is in large part, uh, you know, and this is always kind of buried in other people's stories, but she's in large part, a, a, a you know, kind of a mad scientist. She's a, she's a big science nerd uh, with real grit and determination and loves to solve a problem more than anything. So the idea of giving her the puzzle that is Benjamin Sisko and saying, all right, Beverly, like, go, you've got, you've actually got authority over this guy. Like, what what can you figure out about this? What can you understand about the wormhole aliens? What can you understand about Benjamin Sisko? What does it look like to look at gods through the completely analytical um, like puzzle mind of Beverly Crusher? Felt like a great opportunity. Plus, obviously, she has a personal stake in understanding what happens to people when they become gods. Uh, hit, hit, nudge, nudge. Right, um, Wesley. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do two. Um, at uh, at helm, uh, we have none other than uh, the the dashing, the stupendous Tom Paris. Uh, when you got to have someone flying the coolest ship in the cosmos, you got to have Tom Paris at the helm. Um, though also Tom Paris, new dad. Tom Paris, back from hot rodding. Tom Paris, married to a strong-willed half Klingon woman and trapped in that house for the last, like, year or so uh, as they've been living on the Starbase. So Tom Paris is very excited to hit the road uh, with this ship. But he also has some growing to do. And, you know, like any father, as you're kind of going into this, like you might want to run, but mm, you can only get so far, my friend. Uh, meanwhile, across the bridge over at uh, engineer at, at science, uh, well, sorry, over at communications, uh, we have a new character. Um, she's kind of built on a legacy. Uh, her name is Ahulia Lili or Lily Sato. Um, she's a scion of the Sato family. Um, she's uh, from, of- from from Enterprise for anybody who's right. unaware. Oh, she's Sato, who is the the, the, the very first communication officer. 
so uh, Lily is a bit of a legacy. Uh, you can think of her around, uh, you know, when you're when you're at Starfleet Academy and kind of everyone knows your grandma was a pretty big deal. It can really kind of affect your upbringing to a certain degree. So she's delightfully complicated. She's Andorian human. Um, and uh, we're really excited to kind of play with her as our, um, to a certain degree, our our plucky young cadet who's looking at this ship being like, this is freaking awesome. This is absolutely great. We also figure she's a really fun um, way to answer to Lower Decks, uh, the idea of what it means to come out of the Academy and directly be dealing with these like legends of Starfleet, but be, you know, new yourself. Um, so there's some exciting elements with Lily that we're, we're excited to kind of blow out as we get uh, down the way. And ideally a little bit of cross connection between her and characters like, uh, like Ensign Mariner. Um, I'll, I'll say like, we go way back with Matt, uh, with Mike McMahon, uh, who created Star Trek Lower Decks. And we've been um, in contact with, with Mike about finding those great threads that we can pull between this book and Lower Decks. Uh, the final member of our, of our sort of publicly announced cast uh, is a second new character um, and one with less of a sort of specific um connection to one of the star trek shows uh this is talir uh talir is a non-binary vulcan character who uh is also relatively young and relatively new out of the academy um the things that we know about talir uh, are few and far between at this point out, uh, outside of the fact that they uh present quite a lot like spock uh they have a very similar sort of dynamic on the ship they are at science like Spock, they're explainer like Spock. They are um, more terse uh, than Spock and maybe uh, different in their sort of social awkwardness and, and ways of dealing with humans than Spock. Uh, and we're going to kind of open that up as we uh, get down the line with that character. But we thought it was a really fun time to bring out a sort of openly queer uh, you know, Vulcan character for the first time, uh, and also tie a little bit of that that TOS flavor, um, because there's not a lot of TOS characters left on the table by this point in the timeline. Uh, most of them are, are canonically either dead or busy. Uh, and so it was a, a very, uh, it was very interesting to us to find a way to sort of tie that in directly. There's also some secrets that Talir is going to be holding and how they uh, hold those and, and, and what those secrets are, are going to be things that come out over the course of the, uh, the rest of the book. So look out for that. Um, so you'll you'll notice that that means that we've got somebody at captain, first officer, third officer. Uh, we've talked about who's at helm. We've talked about who's at communications and science. We've not talked about who is at tactical, and we have not talked about who is in the engine room. And we're not gonna for uh, a little bit. We're hoping that those can remain uh, uh, reveals. Certainly, engine room uh, ideally reveal for issue one. So you'll learn that in issue one. Uh, we think it's pretty cool. We're really excited about it, and uh, it's very tied to the ship. Uh, and then uh, you'll learn about the tactical officer in. Uh, issue two yeah and those are two huge roles uh for you know for me and i know everybody has their favorite but for me that, that those are kind of two of my you know when i think about my favorite star trek is tng and i think about my favorite characters it's Jordan wharf so i can't i can't wait to find out who uh who that is uh but we did me mention uh, you guys did mention theseus and i know it's it's in some ways an experimental ship i've heard you guys say so uh do you want to Toss that back and forth uh, and give us some uh, thoughts on Theseus. Yeah, we love Diwali. Um, so Theseus is actually uh, has a really cool history because it's one of the elements we were able to bring forward from uh, our run of year five. Uh, in uh, As Kirk crosses back into Federation space uh, during that series, he'll, he discovers that there's a new flagship for the Federation, the Theseus. Uh, which is this experimental constellation class cr uh, craft that uh, really is pretty damn impressive. Of course, that was 100 years ago. Um, the Theseus has had gone through quite the history, um, which actually you're going to learn a lot of in issue one, which is going to be really exciting for everyone. Um, but the idea being eventually was commissioned as a science ship, specifically uh, like the ship of Theseus, which it's named. The bones can stay the same, but the being itself can constantly be rebuilt. So new subsystems, it's effectively where the weird shit gets tested, uh, which means that it's the perfect ship for someone with a weird mission who is about to be tested as well. Um, but uh, yeah, go ahead, Jack. Well, it's also a great, uh, I think the, the fun thing about the Theseus is that it's a nice way for us to, because um, we, as we said, one of the things about Star Trek, and if you want to know what we're going to do, right, if you really want to kind of like, if you want to see the, the math behind Star Trek uh, as an ongoing sort of flagship uh, comic book, 
you can look at all of Star Trek and be like, well, have they used this yet? Because that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking and be like, okay, how do we take this great thing from this series and this great thing from this series? So like, if you don't see a touch point for something yet, imagine that you're going to. Um, I What I can say is that Theseus is a touch point for us between Star Trek Year 5, which is a which is a bit of canon that we wanted to make sure we acknowledged because obviously it was very important to us. Um, and we're trying to keep it as canonical as possible uh, given the circumstances. Uh, so let's let's pull in from uh, from Star Trek Year Five, but it's also where Star Trek Year Five meets Discovery, uh, and Discovery's initial mandate of being a science vessel where you uh, allowed people to do weird, interesting experiments and try new stuff. Um, and although obviously Discovery is now classified and written out of the historical records, and no one really knows that it ever existed or that it ever did what it did, the uh, uh, the Theseus, I, I guess I can say here, is a Discovery class ship. Uh, and part of the point of that is that it is designed to be modular and interesting the way that Discovery was. So it is itself our little hat tip to Discovery, given um, the circumstances around that ship. And it also it acts as a prequel ship to some of the stuff that you'll see in Protostar. Uh, I'm sorry, in Prodigy, uh, with the Protostar. So uh, there's a little bit of, of Prodigy, there's a little bit of Discovery, and there's a little bit of Year 5 all kind of smashed together uh, into the Theseus. Uh, and then once you know who the engine room uh, is, I think that'll give you a, a good idea of how we're how we're trying to tie those legacies together so here's what's striking me you guys talk about pulling in from all these different corners and that very much fits in with the title right this is just this is star trek this is the whole universe we're going to talk about everything and we'll get to how tough is that to balance with the the core story that you want to tell with benjamin cisco you know you both mentioned he's your favorite captain so you know you, you obviously you want to tell his story there's so much interesting there he's come back from being you know a being with godlike powers uh, the, the Beverly Crusher thing is Angle's great with her personal investment. The data thing is a great foil for him. So that is a very interesting story, but it's got to be a challenge to balance to make sure you're touching on the other stuff, right? 1,000%. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the, the the thing about and that's true of any team book. Um, we haven't done a lot of team books in that regard, uh, but it, it is obviously very true. Like, say you do an Avengers book. Is your Avengers book about Tony Stark? Is it about Captain America? Is it about... Black Widow, like who is your Avengers book about? It's about Black uh, Black Panther. Like really hard to to tell a single character story in that regard and then also tell a wider universal story. Um, I liken what we are doing. Ideally, like our goal is to do something like what Jonathan Hickman did on Avengers or on um, House of X and Powers of Ten, where you have a wide universe, you have a lot of information and a lot of stuff um, for new readers to get in on. Uh, there's a lot of um, access points for new readers, as well as a lot of access points for returning readers. A lot of information and a lot of new, a lot of characters and a lot of story context. But at the core of it, you're going to find a really specific story about really specific people. At the end of the day, that, that Avengers run is about Steve and it's about Tony and it's about Namor and it's about Doom. And like, it's kind of about T'Challa, but like, I mean, he's really, it's pretty specifically about those things. Same thing with X-Men. Like at the end of the day, X-Men's about Xavier, it's about Magneto, it's about Moira. Like the rest of that stuff is there and it's all really interesting. And who doesn't want to read a hundred pages of, of like Mr. Sinister? But those are all like, the um that's the salt and pepper and and that's the that's the the spices in the stew the core of the stew is going to be those characters so i think at the end of the day like this book is the benjamin cisco book every issue of this book is from ben's perspective um so far uh you know obviously that we will do one-offs that take us around the ship and do other stuff but we're especially in the first arc really emphasizing ben cisco's plot line and what he's going through so that we we make sure that that's uh coming out strongly and um, we're really looking at how these other characters interact with him and affect him. And then when we go to those characters to, to open those stories, it'll be that great way where we can slowly roll those stories out, but keep the focus fundamentally on Cisco because we don't have 45 minutes of television per issue. We have 22 pages. Right. So we've, we've discovered that sometimes we can't do scenes at a quote unquote Star Trek pace because, you know, doing Darmok, in a comic is oh is you just don't have the space for it you can't right. do it yeah. you you it would take you three issues to do darmok and we are doing a one issue per episode run yeah. on this we're not doing the year five thing of like two issues per because we want to make sure that we're moving this book along in a clip so it's going to be a challenge and that's going to be the ongoing thing and i think you know the fans will tell us if we got it right when we get there but th that's our emphasis is how we're trying to just focus up on him for now uh, and let that be the point 
and the wow. good news and the good news is um much like they eventually realized with ds9 which these uh which is really different than say an x-men um which is you know effectively a a sex a sex drama uh right. <laughs> and you know like avengers which is um you know uh i don't know billions um this is to be a family show that's the thing about Star Trek is especially on a bridge. Once a bridge starts humming, it's a family show. And um, when you're dealing with family, like, yes, the story could revolve around dad. Let's be real. Ben Ruben Cisco is everyone's dad. Um, it's still because the family loves each other and spends time with each other. They're all naturally and organically drawn into the plot. So while, you know, we're not going to be able to do a lot of focusing on characters, other characters for a bit, um, they're all there. No one is getting sidelined. Um, you at no point will you wonder like where this cast member is because they couldn't pay their day rate. Like you'll, you'll find everybody there all the time. Well, you'd mentioned, well, first of all, the fast pace, my, my comment to that would be great. Number one, number two, you guys probably have so many Star Trek stories to tell. You got to get them out, right? You got to never know how long something's <laughs> yeah. going to last. Um, yeah. The other part of thing, uh, something I want to comment on that you said, Jackson was for, for new readers, right. Or, or for maybe for readers like myself, I, like I have a great interest in Star Trek, but it's always limited amount of time. So I've actually been going back, starting at the beginning with TOS, because the one that I know well is is TNG, right? But I've sure. never seen all of uh, DS9 or all of Voyager, all of Discovery. I, I want to, and I'm going to, but I haven't got there yet. Yeah. So uh, my question for you, Colin, you making this new reader friendly for somebody who's maybe not that familiar with Star Trek or just has a, their favorite corner of it, uh, and and is that a challenge as well? Oh, 100%. Um, you know, it, this job would be a lot easier if we could just say, like, look, Gates with Fadden just showed up. It's a Beverly Crusher. It's everything you need to know. Like, let's go. Right. Right. We can't. Um, so you do need to introduce these characters. You do need to give them space to breathe for someone who's just coming onto it fresh. But in all fairness, that's also just comics. Um, like, you are not allowed to have Dr. Doom step on stage without saying, Doom, D D Baron of Latveria. Right. Right. This is just comics. Um, so it's not as insurmountable of a challenge as we might imagine. Um, but it is a challenge for sure. And well, one of the I, ways I one of the fact that you guys are acknowledging it, that you you know, you're aware of it, I think it kind of seeps into the story. We're also doing something that no Star Trek book has done before. Um ah. I love love saying that. Uh, <laughs> but we are, but we are we're we're going somewhere that no Star Trek book has gone before, which is that uh in each issue of Star Trek, you're going to find uh, two data pages like you would oh, find awesome. in uh, like you would find in the current in the current Eternals book or you would find in any of the X line. You're going to see those kinds of pages brought forward. And that's because when we introduce, say, like a good example of this, I'll, I'll spoil the first one for you because I, I think it's a good example of like how this is going to work. Rather than trying to do a recap page that tells you everything you need to know about Star Trek. We wrote, we, we wrote one. It was really fun, um, but it was like an essay. And we were like, well, shoot, like to tell somebody everything they need to know to start a Star Trek book, especially one that starts with Cisco in the wormhole. That's, a, that's sort of like trying to summarize 17 seasons of television, minimum. Ideally, you're ideally 21, 22 seasons of television, like crazy amount of TV to try to summarize. So you can't do that. How do you do that in a way that feels emotional and distinct and specific? So we took that first that first synopsis page, which was going to come before page one, and we took it out, and we moved it to page three. And so now on the first two pages, you're going to catch up with Benjamin Sisko and the Wormhole. And then on page three, you're going to catch up with Jake Sisko through an article by Jake Sisko. And Jake Sisko is going to tell you what's been up in the universe. And Jake Sisko is going to bring you in on Star Trek. And he's going to teach you about the history of the Federation and what that's meant to him and what that's meant as a child growing up in tumultuous and difficult historical times. And that ideally is going to take a new reader who doesn't know anything about Star Trek and give them an emotional touch point on which to learn the lore. So the lore isn't there as a way to just be like, hey, here's a lore dump. The lore is here the same way that if we were trying to tell you the very first Star Trek story to make you care about it and understand why you should care about it and give you just enough that you all just what you need to emotionally attach to it. And then if you want to learn more about this, get a Paramount Plus subscription and go watch all of Star Trek right. because that's going to be there. But we're going to get you to the point of understanding, um, ideally, if this works, ideally through emotional connection. And as yeah. long as we can attach your heart to the character, then you can learn all the rest of it 
um, over time. Uh, but it, we're not going to, we don't want to write you an essay every book. So you're not always going to be seeing, and it's not always going to be articles by Jake. You know, it'll be service records. It'll be like uh, uh, rundowns of, of certain little parts of history or governments, things that the audience, maybe a Star Trek fan would know, but would love to know more. And that a new reader really needs to know to get their feet um, firmly planted on the ground. Uh, and that was a, that was actually a late idea, but we, we came to it because as we were looping around the book and really looking at issue one and trying to make it as reader friendly as possible, we, we realized there was a great opportunity to onboard. So, um, so that's what we're doing. And, and yeah, just Star Trek, as, as Star Trek nerds, it's really cool, uh, because they're designing a new Elkars design for just for the Theseus, um, which is just one of those dorky things that as a Star Trek fan being like, oh, we we've inspired a custom Elkars design, uh, which is for listeners who don't know is the effectively the style, the aesthetic format of all the Star Trek uh, uh, consoles and such. Um, yeah. It's such a dorky thing to be excited about, but. <laughs> if you can't get excited about small minutiae of Star Trek, like what are you yeah, even doing? You're probably, yeah, you're probably not a Star Trek fan. But yeah, what, of, what are we doing here? Yeah, in, term, in terms of the data pages, that's such a great idea that I'm so, sort of surprised nobody's come up with it before. You know, one of the th- obviously, if you're a Star Trek fan, you all know about the captain's log, right? And you know, it's always more than just those couple of sentences of narration you get at the beginning of a episode or when you come back from a commercial. And I always was like, man, I really want to read Picard's captain's log. Like, give me more, you know, like, wish I could get an info dump of that. Exactly. Uh, we feel like it's a great way for, for fans to, to, to get a little bit of that quote unquote Star Trek um, pace in a book that has to move at a rapid rate and has to generally play on visual images. We also really want to keep this book from being a people talk in rooms book, which mm-hmm. is complicated when you're dealing with Star Trek, which is by and large people talking in rooms. Um, and, and that's, a, I think that when we look at like what we learned from year five, that was a big part of it was learning how you tell those kinds of stories in a way that still feels visual and dynamic uh, inside of Star Trek. So yeah. And I want to, uh, I want to talk about your collaboration with your artists in just a second, but one thing yeah. before we get to that, um, this is a, it's set in a specific time period. Obviously, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, Colin, about uh, before we get to uh, Nemesis with what happens to Data there. So, can you talk a little bit about the the setting uh, of this and and kind of why you guys decided to put it in in the in a particular spot in the in the Star, uh, Star Trek timeline? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's not actually that complicated of an answer. Um, so, the star date is very specifically twenty three seventy eight. Uh, 2378 is the year between uh, effectively when Voyager returned and Star Trek Nemesis. It is, there's about a year and a half and change-ish between these two events, wherein there is canonically no data points about the Federation. Oh, just no one has ever touched that specific window of storytelling space. So... And it's obviously the ripest storytelling space. All, literally every toy is on the table. So when we saw that and realized that there was that sweet spot, we effectively just rang the dinner bell and said, can we call dibs? And TBS, to their credit, looked at it and they said, look, like as long as everything goes into Nemesis correctly, go to town. Wow, that's awesome. It's it's really exciting. It's a really like, uh, it's a really fertile ground to tell story. All right, well, let's, talk, <laughs> let's talk about your artist, uh, Rome. I always get the name Ramon Rosanas. Is that how you Ramon Rosanas? Yes, Rosanas. Okay, I, I'm never quite sure if the pronunciation is right. Yeah, uh, you got from, it. From the images I've seen so far, he must be a giant Trekkie as well. The likenesses are great, uh, but also the the spacescapes, the, the you know the planets, the just everything looks amazing. Yeah, uh, was he somebody you guys had in mind right away? Was it somebody ID? W brought to the project. How did he get involved? Uh, Heather Antos brought him to the project, our editor at IDW. Um, She had an eye, uh, perhaps because she used to, you know, she helped launch the Star Wars uh, comics line when it first started. So she keeps an eye on who they're hiring. Uh, And uh, they're, you know, Ramon has been doing uh, the the flagship Star Wars book for some time. And so as we were poking around the Star Trek world and looking at what kind of artists um, are uh, interested in doing Star Trek, which is in and of itself a pretty small group of artists traditionally um star trek isn't known for being a terribly visual book so sometimes you have a hard time recruiting uh talent in on star trek we've experienced um they there's a pool of really really great people and and those people are incredible but if you want to get outside of that pool which we we really wanted to do with this book because we want to start opening this up to new readers uh you know you have to start looking ramon was the first person who we came to who 
responded by saying like, oh, well, I'm an enormous fan and I will do anything for Star Trek, right? Wow. I was like, awesome. great, so will we. That's exactly how we vibe. That's exactly where we're at. You care about this as much as we do. You have your own touch points. Like, let's meld those in and let's go. So that it, that was really, um, that was like the primary reason to bring Ramon in on, on top of the fact that he's a world-class draftman. His, uh, you know, his likenesses are, are yes, obviously brilliant, but we're trying to get away from a, a context of like this book needing to be all about licenses. I think that's, a, you know, again, or likenesses, that's, that's always a problem with licensed books. It's like, let's get the art looking killer. And that's a great thing about Ramon is like, he's got a really fantastic sort of iteration of like the Spanish comic style. His stuff is very, um, in some ways, very like, uh, very classic uh, and very uh, clean. Yeah, very clean and very specific. Uh, but at the same time, when he opens up with like design, he's a great designer. Like when he opens up with design, you just get these beautiful spreads. Uh, the first reveal spread of the Theseus. It's funny, the Theseus dropped on Twitter today. Ramon just kind of threw it out there and was like, yeah, I, I did the Theseus. So now people get to see it, which is cool. But it's a top-down view of the ship. And what I can tell you, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like really casually. But the thing about the Theseus, it's because it's on Frank Avia's cover. But the thing about it, the, the, the thing about the, um, the, the thesis is like when you look at it from above, it looks very different than when you look at from when you look at it from below. And the below angle is, I just think it looks gorgeous from below. And you won't get to see that until you're seeing it in the book. So I'm really excited for people to sort of like get the tease of what the thesis looks like, but you haven't really seen the ship yet. You've seen sort of like the initial design work. Um, but yeah, Ramon's incredible. Uh, just a wonderful artist. And then obviously um, uh, very excellent at these sort of like big cosmic vistas you saw his work in star trek 400 um in the gary seven story and you can see these just beautiful ways that he can um render sort of impossible uh pages uh and then lee lowridge our uh colorist who is a world-class colorist is coming in and really just doing um brilliant work over that so the art team on this book is is really killer and we're really excited to see what people uh uh get to see as as you know as we open up the toy box and show you all what we're what we're doing all right. Well, I know this is a, a question that you guys get asked a, a lot, probably when you're you're on team books. Uh, but I, I got to ask it anyway. We'll start with uh, with you, Colin. Any favorite characters uh, or crew members that you prefer writing? Anybody you're like, now, Jackson, I'm Ooh, I'm oh, going to write. I'm dibs on this character. If it's one of the <laughs> secret ones, that's that's fine too. You don't have to you know spoil anything. But just curious. It is one of them. One hundred. Ah, shit. One of them is 100% one of the secret ones. Yeah. Uh, uh, I will write Tom Paris for days. Um, I, I, I I modeled a distressing amount of my teenage personality on Tom Paris. You know what? I was going to say, I get a lot of Tom Paris from you. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of Tom Paris around here. Um, so I love, I love that boy. Um, that being said, I would never wave Jack away from writing it. Like that's not how our partnership works. But in the con in the conceptual space where we do fight to the death over individual writing characters, I would, uh, yeah, I would leave him bloody on the floor. <laughs> I, and, and I would, and I would happily cede Tom Paris to Colin. I actually think that he is. I, I'm I, of the two of us. I'm I'm the the less sort of I wouldn't say knowledgeable, but I'm, I'm certainly like the less Voyager fan of of the two of us. Um, but. I love Tom Paris and he's a great character, but like that, that character I know like really speaks to Colin. And so it, generally that actually has been the case that, that if you read a Tom Paris line, it was probably written by Colin, but he's also, he's, I, I'm finding him very fun to write because he's your chance to write a like openly funny character, which doesn't happen in Star Trek all that often. Like a character who's trying to make jokes. Uh, uh that's, I, I, I enjoy a character who's genuinely like, was that funny? Did I, did I make you laugh? Like that's that's great, and you you don't get that a lot in Trek. Um, but of uh, of the characters that we've gotten to write so far, other than Cisco, who I've been begging to write for a million years and who I just really love, but who is a real enigma to write. Um, my favorite character to write so far is Talir, uh, and I think that's uh, it, it. Sort of sits between <coughs> Talir and Lily. I think what I really love about Talir is that there's an enormous amount of mystery to the character. So whatever is revealed out of Talir is deliberate and is specific. And uh, so everything that you do, they're, they're, they're a little bit of a, um, of a puzzle piece. You can't like write jazz with them. You've got to write like very specific notes um, to play with Talir. So I have a lot of fun with that um, because anything that they say has meaning. 
uh, because it, it it informs you as to the the enigma that is them. Uh, and I like Lily because she is uh, fundamentally overwhelmed at all times, but is constantly being put in these like very intense scenarios. There's a there's a sequence in issue two where the whole thing is kind of put on her back, and she has to like step up and be like super professional uh, and it's a different look than writing that with Okura or writing that with um, a character who's had, you know, a bunch of experience and stuff on their back. This is a person who knows a lot of the universe academically and knows a lot of the universe from a sort of like family history perspective, but is now actually getting out there and getting to see all of it for the first time. So I'm having a lot of fun uh, writing them. Um, also, I just, you know, I, I know I'm taking all the characters, but like uh, <laughs> uh, data, I, we're both I think we both have a just pretty soft spot affinity for data and being able to write from data's being able to write from data's perspective um, is a joy. It was the first Star Trek we got to write. We got to write this little short story uh, called my human is not a story by spot. That was a spot story in waypoint uh, with, um, uh, with just, yeah. Yeah. uh, It was with Sunny Lou. That was just this like, beautiful little 10 page thing that we got to write, which we thought was going to be the only Star Trek we ever got to write. Uh, and while that was from Spot's perspective, uh, it got, we got to write some data in that. And it really was just such a, um, an immediate affinity for that character uh, and, and the, the beautiful, the beautiful stuff that comes out of him. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, I, I don't think there are any wrong answers when it comes to the answer is all the characters. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> because the favorite Star Trek characters or, uh, favorite Star Trek characters to write. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're all they're all great. Oh no, we lost Colin. Oh no, but uh, I did want to uh, kind of follow up on what you were talking about, Lily's, uh, because she is new. Even though she she knows you you meant you, the way you put it was she knows the the universe academically. Yeah, um, but you know, first time experiencing it. So, it, it, are you guys using her as sort of the the POV character more so than anybody else uh, for those new readers we were talking about? You'd think we would. Yeah, um, you'd think that. But no, she exists by proxy. She is there on the bridge for you to feel like. She is definitely a, a character that we want a new reader to be like, oh, that's my emotional connection in. Gotcha. Okay. But uh but no, we have not we have we we're we're on we're Cisco's head. We're we're Cisco's boys. Well <laughs> it, it, and 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 not just Ben, but Jake. We haven't really talked about Jake um, a lot here because Jake doesn't technically like he's not technically on the crew, but Jake is on the Theseus and what Jake is going through and how Jake is dealing with that is its own real like spine of this book. So I would I'd argue that we're probably more emotionally connected to Cisco and Jake than we are to anybody else in this book, because that's what the core of this first, especially the first six issues um, is all about. But yes, uh, ideally teenagers can read this book and see themselves in Lily. That is like the goal with Lily is have a teenager on the ship, but not in a like Wesley Crusher way where they're like just learning the ropes and they're like, let me on the bridge. Like, no, this is a fully trained, ready to go seventh generation Starfleet officer. She just happens to be a teenager and her uniform is super sick. This is awesome. This is like just a thing that Ramon did that I love, but um, Lily's uniform is a, it's a dress. Uh, like it, it works like the old TOS dresses, but instead of being a sort of form fitted dress, it's like a Billie Eilish, like oversized shirt oh, basically nice. that goes to her knees. So there's a great sort of modern design sense with Lily that uh, I were hoping you can, you can actually see, you can see it on the cover there up in the corner of your screen. Um, there's a, a sense with Lily that she gets to be, our voice of the youth um, in this book, which we always like to have. Well, going back to, to Jake, even though I haven't watched all of DS nine uh, mm-hmm. for me, my relatability with Cisco is as a father and that, that father son relationship between him and Jake was always such a core to the show. And it, it grounded Cisco. And I think it made him relatable and human because he can come across. He's got so much grav- Avery books, right? The actor's got so much gravitas and so, so much presence at times you can feel larger than life. And that was always what humanized them was that relationship with Jake. So I'm glad that Jake's a part of the book. And I'm sure you guys are going to be exploring that relationship. I mean, so fertile after his dad being gone for so long and not just gone on vacation or gone on a mission, but I mean, you literally just said it. Jake humanizes. Right. And what does he need more than that right now? Yeah, 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I want to give you guys both a chance. Let's say that uh, we have some listeners uh, who aren't Star Trek fans or just listening because they, they love comics. So, you know, of course, they listen to the comic source. Uh, why should they be picking up this Star Trek book? Uh, we'll start with you, Jackson. What, what do you think? How do you sell it to somebody who's maybe not familiar or not a, is only a casual Star Trek fan? Yeah. So my 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 core pitch is um, this is the story of a uh of like the coolest astronauts you've ever met solving the murder of God. If that sounds cool to you, get on board. Star Trek, will, you will catch up with Star Trek. We'll teach you anything you need to know about Star Trek. We'll teach you what a Klingon is. We'll teach you how the wormhole works. We'll teach you what a warp core is. All of that stuff, you will learn the same way that you are going to learn like, you know, anything in any new comic that you might be reading, right? But you can pick this up just straight up with the idea of we are we are coming into a new science fiction universe <coughs> and solving a um a like galactic scale murder mystery with a team of very interesting weird uh uh mystery filled astronauts. That's what Star Trek is. And and especially in this particular series, that's what Star Trek is. So um that's my first sort of step. And then my my, my other thing is and this I can only tease, but this is just the beginning. This, you said something earlier here where you were like, oh, who knows how long this is going to last? And that's true of any comic. Who knows how long it's going to last? This one's going to last a while. Um, this one is a, this is not a fly-by-night experiment. Uh, this is a line that is being committed to by the people at Star Trek by the people at IDW, uh, by us, um, and by the other creators involved. We are we are putting something together that has not been done with Star Trek before, and we think is well overdue. Um, so uh, suffice yeah. to say, we are trying a we are trying to to start a new era of Star Trek comics here. So if you've never read a Star Trek comic before, you're exactly who we want in on this book. And if you've spent all, if like me, you've read every Star Trek comic that's ever been written, this book is going to be the summation and culmination of a lot of that stuff and we're going to be trying to push that forward so hopefully this is a book for anybody star trek fan or not so pay off for longtime fans perfect time for new fans this is where you you want to be hey i was there when it came out we're about it that's, i bought it, that, and, I bought and, it as, in october 2022 as as hubristic as that sounds yes that is our goal and, and, and i think the other thing is just home. pretty much with every you know every anytime you try and get someone into star trek you always have to preface it with you got to get through the first season Right. Pretty much universally. Look, this is great. You do have to slog through the first mm -hmm. season. For this, you know what? We're stripping all of that out. We're taking the coolest characters from all of these things, putting in one spot, and starting immediately at high speed. So if you have always, if there's someone who has felt overwhelmed by the 21 seasons of television, they have to handpick their way through. Like, we're bringing you the best there is. Come have this as a taste. If you like these flavors, then I guarantee you there's going to be so much more Star Trek for you um, based on any whatever corner of this you grab onto. Uh, but but consider this the most delicious meal you can possibly have. You know, that's a really good point that you guys are getting to play with the favorite toys. You know, we all mentioned everybody has their favorites, but I mean, yeah, you got Tom Paris from Voyager. You got Data and Beverly Crusher from TNG. You got Cisco from DS9. It's like everybody's favorites in, in one show, in one book here. So yeah, definitely time to, to jump on. Well, I'm super excited. Uh, again, everybody, now is the time to tell your retailer that you want this book. Uh, as I mentioned, it's coming out in uh, October, October 26th of, of 2022. This year is the release date. So now's the time to tell them uh, there's plenty of covers. Go pick your favorite one, or your favorite two, or your favorite three, whatever. Yeah, uh, the covers are insane. Sorry, yeah, can we talk really about that are. for a second? Because like... Star Trek's never had a cover lineup like this. We've got Declan Shelby. We've got Frank Avia. We've got David Aha. We've got Rachel Stott. Like... And that's, and that's issue one alone. Every single issue of Star Trek is going to have four covers. And we're not, and it's not just going to be like, oh, like the same four artists every time. We're reaching out and getting Star Trek art by people who've never drawn Star Trek before. Like the, the amount of incredible art that is going to be coming out just in the covers alone for this book is uh, staggering. Uh, and for, for a Star Trek book, especially, it's like, it's just you've just never seen it like this before. Yeah, that's, that's once again, awesome. you, you can hear the fan in our voice just creeping right. out. It's not even about being the creative force behind this. It's about just being fans and getting to see all this amazing Star Trek art. One thousand percent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, again, everybody, uh, now's the time to pre-order. Let your uh, retailers know. 
Uh, it's been fantastic talking to you guys. Uh, obviously, we focused on Star Trek, but any longtime listeners of the podcast know you guys have plenty of awesome books out there. You mentioned a couple of them. So I do want to congratulate you on a, a fantastic first uh, arc, six issues of uh, the Batman Beyond Neo Year. Uh, it's so on the last page, it did say more of Batman Beyond coming in 2023. I sure so hope it you guys. Has well, anything been decided? Already, can you say? We've already confirmed that it's us. That's okay. all we can say. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, but suffice to say, we are we are we are back in Neo Gotham. We're very excited. Um, what that means, we'll be showing y'all soon. It's going to be very different. Like we're we're See, not that, we didn't we didn't play the hits with Neo Year, and we're not going to play the hits now. We're we're going to keep pushing Terry forward and do something cool and new. We're really excited about it. Well, before we started recording, I mentioned I had never been a Batman Beyond guy, and that's kind of what I like with this brand new supporting cast. It feels different. It feels like Terry's maturing. He's growing. Doesn't have the crutch of you know, Bruce there to help him. I, I don't know. I just, you guys knocked it out of the park. So congrats on that. Thank series. you very much. And yeah, Thank we'll you, come back and chat about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have you back on. And, we, and we'll also have to, to talk about your other ongoing, which is um, Captain America. As I mentioned, we talked at San Diego quite a bit about Cap, um, the, the Sentinel of, of Liberty book where so much secret empire influence. And the other thing, and you mentioned this to me uh, at the con, um, Jackson was how much you guys are focusing on Steve like out Steve is Captain America but he's Captain America even when he doesn't have the costume on right and at his core he is you know the symbol of the I and I mentioned this on the review this last week he is the symbol for the ideals of America not America the country not America the political entity what makes this country great the ideas of freedom and liberty and equality that is who Steve is and I mean, you guys are just doing such a fantastic job. So uh, you have to be as passionate about writing Cap as you are about Star Trek, right, Colin? Uh, yes, yes. Cap is uh, Cap is my first love as a comic book character. Comic book character. Um, I think he's more important now than he's ever been before. I think getting to do that book is literally a pinch me kind of dream. Um, and talk about weight and responsibility. Um, that's 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 a damn heavy one. And long-time plans for that? I mean, you guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon, right? I nope. Uh, we, we've uh, we've announced the uh, very first crossover between uh, our book and Tochi Onibochi's uh, Captain America Symbol of Truth, which is the uh, Sam Wilson-focused Captain America book. We're going to be bringing these two. We've been working with Tochi sort of hand-in-hand hand since we all started this line, but we're going to be weaving the two books together into a uh, uh, two-book event called Cold War, uh, and that's going to be coming uh, at the end of this year, early, you know, beginning of next year, uh, as or no, actually, like, like next summer. I'm sorry. I, it's not that early. Um, that's going to be coming in next summer, which is really exciting stuff, uh, and that's going to be the culmination of a lot of the stuff that we're doing and a lot of the stuff that he's doing, and then that's going to throw both books into their second years. So, um, no, we, we're uh, Captain America fans should settle in. We've we've got a lot of story to tell, um, and we're all uh, really excited to tell it. There's, uh, in fact, everything really kicks off next next month. Like issue five of Sentinel of Liberty is is the pivot point. So um, we're really excited to see uh, how how fans react. Well, that might be the best time to have you guys back on right after that issue drops. May, that may, after five or after six. I feel like after six might be the better one because we can't really talk after five. Okay. After six, we'll, be, we'll probably be yeah. able to talk. All right, more. let's, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do, Sounds great. Uh, so it, it does sound like, I mean, you, you mentioned collaborating with Tochi. Uh, so anybody who is not, uh, doesn't realize, so these two series started off with a co-issue zero that you guys co-wrote with, with Tochi. So is the crossover kind of, I mean, they uh, it's similar, Sam, similarly yeah, Sam, Sam and Steve kind of agreed to go their separate ways and, and pursue these two different things and the missile with everything that happened. So they come back together. It's kind of like, OK, we went our separate ways. Now let's get back together and touch base, see where we are. That is correct. Yeah. The, uh, so some of the some of the secrets from that issue zero are going to be coming um, out over the course of the second arc of Sentinel of Liberty. And then as that stuff starts to come out in Sentinel, especially you're going to end Frankly, some of the it, it you won't understand it, but it's coming in from symbol as well. When those two things collide in Cold War, it's going to be opening up frontiers of story for both characters. Gotcha. Uh, and that's where we're going to we're going to forge forward. Awesome. All right. So after issue six, I'm going to bug you guys. We'll come back on. Sounds we'll talk great. About that. We'll talk about uh, hopefully you can say more about Batman Beyond. At that well, point and tease well. you a little bit about the would then the upcoming annual. And I think and I think Star Trek number one will be out by then. So. I think all of that stuff will team out because like six and the annual all and right, we better, Star Trek we, should all be out. We better block out a couple hours for that one. I love it. Let's go nuts. <laughs> uh, Colin, anything else you guys have on the horizon? Anything else that you can tease that Boy. you can actually allow to be talked about? 
Um, I don't even know what we can and can't talk about right now. We have so many things in the hopper. So much of it is so unbelievably cool. And um, so unbelievably secret. Yeah, and so unbelievably <laughs> secret. Um, so, I think I think we've talked about all the stuff that's publicly announced outside of like, they have said that we're doing the Destin one or the, the Dark One sequel. Uh, where uh, DC is doing a run uh, called One Bad Day. Uh, which are oversized, uh, killing joke style X kind of lends in on various characters. Uh, we have the incredible honor and privilege of writing uh, the Clayface story, which is one of the most fucked up things we've ever written. We took <laughs> we take it, we took 15 years of our lives in Hollywood uh, and distilled it into 60 pages of pure anguish, tragedy, and heartbreak, uh, and it absolutely rips uh and that will be i have no idea when that comes out it's towards the end of that line but like it's happening and it's gonna be rad yeah well i mean high bar with what tom and mitch did i mean that was the greatest look, story ever look, right? look um i uh any line that you do that starts with tom and mitch you have to immediately understand that you are going to be the silver medal at best <laughs> right so what i'm so what we did was we were like great we know that they're they're well out in front. We're way at the back. We're the second to last of yeah. these, like maybe that. third to last of these. Like we're 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 way at the back of this. So, a lot of other really great writers, G. Willow Wilson, incredible, um, uh, John Ridley, are going to be coming in and they're going to be doing work ahead of us, um, and they all get to be gold medal, gold medal, gold medal, gold medal. I'm sure they're all going to be incredible stories because these are all incredible writer-artist teams. We cannot believe we got brought in on this because um, we still kind of think of ourselves as like the new kids. Um, but it's, I mean, we're not. We've been doing this for a while and we we have certainly like, especially at DC, really earned the trust of that editorial team. So we're, we're really excited to do it. I am not in any way worried about, for the first time ever, right? And this is speaking of some, like we cleaned up after Tom on Grayson, like we mm -hmm. finished Grayson when he had to go do Batman. And that was an impossible task. That was a mission impossible. Like, like go, go finish the best book on the, uh, on the stands guys in like three issues. Right. We were never going to be able to do it justice. And I'm happy with what we did, but like, that was rough. This, no one else could tell this Clayface story. This Clayface story is deeply personal to us. It is something we've lived through. It's something we've really understood. And like, it's a venom in our hearts that comes from living in 15 with 15 years of Hollywood nonsense um, just around you all the time that we actually got to like extract and put on the page. And um, so whether or not it's as good as what Tom did or whether it's as good as what it is, I don't know, but I do think it's going to be fundamentally singular. I, I don't think there's ever been a Clayface story like this. I'm not sure there ever will be a Clayface story like this again. Um, I, I think this is just a really personal and very specific take on Clayface and, and, uh, when people see what Harmonico is doing, uh, our artist who is you know, the guy from Flashpoint Beyond, who is just an incredible artist, what he's bringing to the table on this is next level. So um, I think it's going to be a really, uh, I think it's going to be worth people's time. Uh, I'm very yeah. excited. Well, I mean, my expectations are high, but I've, I've come to trust you guys. And, and you know, we talked no, about this at, at San Diego as well. Yeah, I mean, so many times I see your guys' name. You did, like you said, Jackson, come to finish a book, you know? Yeah. So the level of success you guys finally have, that you're on these ongoings, and it's not, hey, I'm on this book for three months, and it ends, and then I'm doing this one shot, and then I'm doing this anthology. I love the yeah. fact that you guys are, are you know, going to bring more Batman Beyond, that you're on a long run of Captain America, and that you are launching the preeminent, the premier Star Trek title uh, that's, you know, according to you according to you guys, uh, it's kind of sounds like it's going to launch a whole, like, new corner of of comics here it's funny because your first question was like how does it feel to be uh be to be handling all this and we said you know it's fine uh and now you just reiterated it again and i think i'm having a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> wait we're doing what yeah, jackson jackson well, be laying in bed laying in bed at like 2 a.m going oh my god what have we oh my god what have we do? done yeah <laughs> i never heard it verbalized before <laughs> uh well again listeners october 26th but don't wait. Now's the time. Tell your retailers. Pre-order. The best thing you can do to help out these guys, best thing you can do to help retailers, as you know, is to pre-order. Let them know uh, that you want to book ahead of time. That way you don't miss out. So, uh, again, Jackson, Colin, fantastic talking with you guys. Really excited for Star Trek. Uh, and congratulations on all the success. Can't wait to have you guys back on uh, You know, in a, in a few months to talk some, uh, some cap. Heck yeah, Jace. Thank you so much. It was really uh -huh. great to reconnect.
Yeah. And uh, before we go, one last thing, let's let listeners know where's the best place to follow you online, social media or what have you. So when some of those secret projects start coming out uh, that you're able to talk about them, they'll, uh, they'll be on board. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I am uh, at CP Kelly uh, on Twitter. Uh, the P is a secret. <laughs> uh, and I am uh, at Jackson Lansing, L-A-N-Z-I-N-G uh, on Twitter uh, or found in the wild on Instagram. Uh, either one is a good place to follow me. Great. And I'll put links to the social media in the show notes as always, everybody. So if you're having trouble finding them, you can just go and click there. So uh, thanks again, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure uh, to all you listeners. I want to thank you for taking the time and for joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.